Hey guys, welcome to episode 89 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So first off, we want to thank you for joining us and remind you that if you haven't done so already, to please leave us a review on whichever podcast platform you are listening to us on. We want to thank everyone that has been giving us reviews because we got some really nice ones lately and we totally appreciate that. Makes us know that we're doing something right, especially for you guys. Yes, positive reinforcement does always work. Makes me feel good about myself. (laughs) That's all. I don't make you feel good about yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course you do, but okay. you know, for all my listeners out there that actually like me, you know, <laughs> uh, it's always a good feeling. There are times you you do test my patience. It's okay. <laughs> so I hope you're all in the mood for some murder because I'm about to begin. As always, I'm told that I don't remind everyone enough. John is coming into this cold like the rest of you guys. I'm telling him our story of true crime, and he learns it and reacts with you in real time. Plus, he doesn't like to research. So basically, I'm the research. He's the reaction. Is that bad? No, that's you're just, uh, well, you're just a dude. You know what? You're right. You're right. But I do find a lot of the cases. I mean, actually, I shouldn't say all. I mean, uh, a lot. Or Gather yourself. <laughs> I should say I, I, I find all the cases that we cover very interesting. I've never found one that wasn't. So. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, you do a great job. <laughs> okay. See, I like this positive reinforcement from you. I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay. <laughs> Spread positivity. I try to keep you happy with our true crime cases. I love it. So our case today brings us back to 2008 in Apex, North Carolina. It is focused on a group of friends that went to school together, partied together, and have dated each other. If you've ever known a group like this or have been a part of one yourself, you know that it can be a recipe for disaster, especially when you add teenage hormones and emotions to it all. But this group was a little different than most. Each member was going through an inner struggle of their own, self-harm, mental illness, a lack of self-esteem, and aggression. And in the end, this combination of complication would lead to the brutal murder of one of those teens. And the road to get there was a very twisted one indeed. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. So first, let me introduce you to the players of this circle. First, there's Michelle Lippert, a 17-year-old junior in high school. She has been described by her classmates as pretty, popular, artistic, and sweet. Her parents would tell you in 2008 that she was a very good girl. She listened to every rule they ever gave her, and she earned good grades, and they were very, very proud of her. Michelle was dating Matthew Silliman, also a junior at the very same high school. Matthew was described as a soft-spoken boy. He also followed all of the rules that his parents had laid out for him, and he earned good grades. Matthew had just become an Eagle Scout, which is the very highest tier of the Boy Scouts, something that he was very proud of, and also something that colleges are very into, just so you know that. Huh, that's interesting. Good to know. Yes. So if you ever, you know, go back to college. That's not happening. (laughs) I mean, it's just not... (laughs) It's not in the cards. You know, I just wasn't good. I just wasn't good as a a student. 
You're the best, John. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm sure you I, were good. Not really. I did like three semesters and dropped out. That's okay. You tried. I, I did try. I did try. And to... college isn't for everybody. That's true. That's true. But I'm successful. Look. You are. I Look, did you the... got this awesome wife. Yeah. Cool house. Got a good job. Podcast. Podcast. You're fine. I made, I, I made, well, I made up pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Continue the story. Okay. I feel weird. <laughs> I feel like the spotlight's on me right now. I don't like it. <laughs> So those that knew Matthew and Michelle said that they were an adorable couple. High school sweethearts. That's really cute. I will say, though, just a little caveat here. They really only dated for a few months. So, But in high school, that's time, yeah. that's a long time. That is. Yeah. The other couple in this friend group was Ryan Hare and Allegra Dahlquist. And they were the dark to Matthew and Michelle's light. Ryan Hare went to a different high school than the others and he was considered an alpha at both, especially within his small group. He was physically fit and imposing, and he was known to be a little crazy and impulsive. He was also the most into drinking and drugs when it came to the group. So he was like their connection with most of that stuff. And he also associated himself with some pretty shady characters that the other members of the group really didn't want to hang around with. His girlfriend, Allegra, was described as being the queen bee of the group and her high school. It seemed like Allegra made most of the decisions for the group, and that was probably why her and Ryan were naturally attracted to each other. However, those that went to school with her, they did describe her as a bit rebellious, that she was kind of like a vixen in that like phase of just kind of like F the world is how someone described it. When they were describing her, the first thing that like popped into my mind was the movie Jennifer's Body. Okay. So what what's that actress's name? Why is it escaping me? Oh my god. She was in Transformers. Hold on. Come on. Um Megan Fox. It's Megan Fox. Megan Fox. It is Megan Fox. So she reminded me of like Megan Fox's character in Jennifer's Body. I don't know why it took so long to remember. Sorry. I used, to, I used to love that the is Transformers a, movie. That was good. That is a throwback to 2008. Yeah. You loved Megan Fox. No, I actually like the Transformers. I'm going to nerd out right now and say I was oh. actually I was more happy about the Transformers movie. Yeah. And the fact that they had the first concept of the Camaro in the movie, which was cool. Oh, yes. That's yes. what made me buy one. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that fun fact about you. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the yellow color, but yeah, like the car. I mean, I I do. I know that everyone you're following Machine Gun Kelly and her romance, but I do hate that she broke brian austin green's heart because i really yeah. do love him so much so uh, i just like machine Gun kelly's life i think it's really funny like he does a lot of crazy things but yeah i don't know a lot of people don't like him i think he's all right well i don't like that he stole <laughs> megan fox away from brian austin green the cutest person ever i'm sorry it's okay so sorry to it's completely off track there so the two others in the group were adil khan and drew shaw Adil was Matthew Silliman's best friend, and the two had known each other for a very long time. Actually, it's really important here to just say that this group has known each other for a long time, like period. The boys have all known each other since they were in seventh grade, and the girls came in around ninth grade, and now they're juniors. So they've known each other for a really long time. So they have a pretty, I would say, deep understanding of who each other were. I mean, that's always good, too, you know, like in a, in, a, in a friend group, you know. Right. It is nice to be with people that you've known for a long time. Yeah. And Drew Shaw was the closest with Ryan Hare. 
So these two were really like the glue that kept everyone together, Adil and Drew. And it's funny because they couldn't be more different from each other. Adil was a wonderful student and great friend. Everyone who knew him closely loved him, but life for Adil was very difficult. He had not really found his social ground in high school. Um, He did really well in school, but kids, if they can be anything, they can be cruel. And Adil was often bullied and made fun of for his ethnicity. But he always found peace and protection within the small group of friends that he had. And that's, and I was, you know, that's really nice that he has that because a lot of kids in high school don't. Are jerks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they don't, they don't have that support group to really fall back to if they've Mm -hmm. been been made fun of or something like that. So it's nice that he has that. It is sad. And it's 2008. So we're seeing the dawning of social media and its effects on high school students. And I would say it's a little bit more negative than it is positive. Oh, yeah. Drew Shaw, like I said before, was quite the opposite of a deal. He was a party animal. That's how all of his friends described him. Um, And he didn't perform well in school. And to make up for that, he became the class clown. And both boys were very complicated in their own ways. They both were harboring some serious self-esteem issues just differently. And I think they were too young to even identify that in themselves and seek solace in each other. But it's, it's complicated. The lives of teenagers are very complicated. Yeah, no, I mean, it is. And, and you know, every little every little move you make, um, you know, it really determines your next, like, let's just say, let's say you were a freshman and you have four years, you know, like, so anything you do has, like, crazy rippling effects. Yes, it's true. And even though relationships are formed, um, although seemingly superficially to, like, the outside world, say someone's in a relationship for two months, the intensity of that relationship and... And I find I often find teenagers uh, think intensity is love and intensity doesn't equal love, but no. they think it does right. because, <laughs> you know, their hormones and stuff. But um, the devastation that's caused when that's taken away is just insane. Yeah, no, that's true. And then it's also like you get you get labeled, too. Yeah, that often does happen in high schools, especially you, know, yeah. you get labeled something freshman year and then kind of follows you. Yeah. Like, you know, for me. You know, I, I got labeled as being crazy. Like, you know, like people, you know, I, I don't know. I used to do like dumb things, you know, you know, wild things that you probably shouldn't do. Like, you know, just dumb stuff. Right. You know, by the time I, but by the time I was a senior, I kind of snapped out of it. But people just knew me for being like this crazy, rambunctious class clown, you know, so lunatic. You, you felt like you had to like do that. Well, I tried to, well. By the time I was a senior, I kind of was over that phase, but it took a long time. It took three years of high school. Um, but like by the time I was in high school, people still would view me that way. Right. Um, I mean, it wasn't like I never got anything like negative, but I mean, I was friends with everyone and everything, but they just always classified me as the crazy one. I see. The, the rambunctious one, you know, the one that wouldn't be afraid to do something. Okay. Even if it got him in trouble. But I was still, you know, nice to everyone. Yeah. You can't escape those labels sometimes. No, you can't. You can't. I was um, the president of book club and in every AP class possible. All right. So that really sums you up. (laughs) But that's okay. That's good. We had the coolest shirts. We were the Lancers. Mm -hmm. This is the best. I tell everyone this story. So I need to share it with you guys. We were 
the Lancers was like our school mascot. So we decided that for the book club that our shirts would be like, (laughs) I can't. The Lancer Lit Police was on the front of the shirt with like a Lancer. And then on the back, it said, (laughs) it said book them. Oh, my God. Hey, you know what, though? I mean, if you guys wanted to rock those shirts, hey. Bro. Everyone rocked those shirts. We sold we sold out like twice because everyone loved them. That's all that matters. Yep. So book them. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So like I stated before, the six of them would often get together and hang out. Sometimes they would watch movies, play video games. But on the weekends, they liked to hang out and drink and occasionally smoke some pot. Harmless high school fun. Well, early on in their junior year, something serious is going to happen to them. Also, though, disclaimer, that's not harmless high school fun. And I would discourage my students from doing that. I just have to say that. I understand. In September, Matthew had gone through a little bit of a dark time. He had attempted suicide. After this shocking event, his parents sought psychological help for their son, who had subsequently been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He had spent a few days at a psychiatric hospital in the area, and Matthew told his friends and family that he believed that his time in the hospital really helped him, and he was happy moving forward with his diagnosis and the fact that he was on medication to help him because he had been in a very dark place. And it was apparent, like Matthew's parents spoke about how he kind of changed as a person. Whereas before um, this, like the summer before his junior year, he was this bright, bubbly person and he, he changed. He got darker, not just in his appearance of like what he would wear and how he took care of his personal hygiene, but his behaviors. And I think it all came to a head when he had attempted suicide in September. And then they finally were able to get help for their son. So they were very supportive of him, which is very fortunate that he was in a household that really had his back. And it seemed like his friends did too, which is great. Absolutely. So although he was getting the proper help that he needed, this event, of course, still left Matthew in a very vulnerable state. This event also brought Matt and Allegra closer together. Now, remember, they're dating different people. When she found out about what had happened with Matt, she confided in him that she had depression and anxiety of her own. She revealed to him that she had self-harmed. The two began having a lot of deep conversations at school and over text messaging about how they felt. They spent most of their time together before fourth period when Matthew's class was right next to Allegra's Honors Shakespeare class. A few weeks after they began talking to each other, Allegra's mother, the only parent she lived with, decided that it would be best if her daughter were admitted into the same psychiatric facility that Matthew had stayed at because she was worried for her daughter's mental health and her physical health because of the amount of self-harm that she was committing. So she often cut herself, and she said she did this to relieve the anger that she felt, but also her depression and anxiety. Yeah, that's that's sad. Um, She said it was a relief to her, so she was um, seeking help for this. Yeah, I mean, at least she's seeking help. I mean, I think that's the biggest 
yeah. um, the the best big, biggest and best step that you could make, um, especially early on. I mean, you're in high right. school. This is the gr- greatest time to really focus on getting the help you need. Right, especially because your emotions are kind of all over the place. So I think it's just wonderful that their parents are like recognizing this, but then also that they're feeling safe and comfortable enough to want to go and seek the help as well. So this is like very positive so far. Absolutely. Obviously it doesn't stay positive because this is a true crime podcast. So during her time in the facility, Allegra grew closer to Matthew than her own boyfriend, Ryan. And that's because Matthew was the one who visited her every day and sent her many text messages. When Allegra left the facility, she told Ryan that she wanted to go on a break and explore the feelings that she had for other people. Ryan knew who she was talking about. And when she said other people, she meant Matthew Silliman. He was very upset by this. At the time, Ryan and Allegra had been dating for just over three months, and Michelle and Matthew were still in the talking phase of their relationship. While Allegra and Matthew explored their feelings by talking more and hanging out, Ryan would not let his relationship with Allegra go. He still talked to her every day and kept asking whether or not the two of them had kissed yet, and he seemed fixated on whether or not Allegra and Matthew had been physical with each other because that he had said to her was going to be his breaking point. So even though you have this girl who's trying to say to her boyfriend, I need a break, he's not giving her a break whatsoever. He's talking to her every single day. And even though they're on a break during what would have been their four month anniversary, he buys her a whole bunch of like really expensive gifts. And it's, it's just kind of like, this is a form of dating abuse. Yeah. I mean, I feel like um, it's more recognized now. Right. Than it was even in 2008. Yes. Um, You know, it's it's hard because, to you know, even just to take the abuse out of it or any signs of any, you know, issues, you have to think a lot of these kids are in, you know, relationships maybe for the first time. Yeah. Or, you know, they're still trying to get, you know, they're trying to be with somebody and still get to understand themselves. Right. You got to remember that. I mean, it's it's kind of difficult. Um, they you know, also think it's normal to, for it to be this yeah. way. A lot of times we find, like, when we talk to um, girls who we recognize as being victims of dating abuse, and um, oftentimes they'll say, and I remember being in high school and hearing this from my friends or even having this same warped way of thinking that intense jealousy is a form of love and it shows that he cares about you and even vice versa it could happen with girls and boys girls to boys meaning like the girl is overly jealous that's not a form of flattery that is it's a warning sign right an intense jealousy where you're not allowed to speak to anyone else or you know they won't leave you alone or that's not good. It's not healthy. No, it's not. It's pretty Def- intense. Yes, and I and Ryan is showing these signs to Allegra. But again, she has issues within her own self where she wants to seek approval, especially male approval. So she likes that she's getting attention from Matthew. 
and she's getting the emotional attention, but she's getting also attention from Ryan at the same time. And she's really, I don't want to say enjoying it, but she's not going to say no or stop talking to Ryan because she sees this as male attention, positive or negative. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. So during this time, Ryan is spending more time alone with Adil Khan and Drew Shaw. He told them that he did not think it was cool what was happening between Allegra and Matthew. The two boys caught in the middle tried to reassure him that she was going to come back to him. Ryan told them that because he had more free time, he had been hanging around with people that were from his town. And he started to do some work recently for this guy. The guy's name was Roger Pollard, and he was in his 20s. He was involved with selling drugs and other illegal activities, and he was slowly pulling Ryan into what he was doing. Ryan did admit to Adil and Drew that Roger creeped him out, and that he mostly just did what he was told because he was frightened of him and he was his drug connection. Now, for Ryan to say that someone who both Adil and Drew wanted to impress and were slightly scared of themselves, that really meant something. So they're thinking, okay, if Ryan's scared of this guy, we're totally scared of this dude. You know what I mean? Oh, no, definitely. I mean, there's always one in the group that's... uh... The alpha. Yeah, of course. Some of the things that Roger would ask him to do would be to steal things, um, slash people's tires... And most recently, Roger had requested that Ryan drive him in his car past a school bus. So while he did so, Roger fired a paintball gun at the school bus, which was empty at the time. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's just like little like pellets filled with paint that like explode when they hit something. So paintballing was actually something this group often did. So they did all have yeah, it wasn't odd guns. that he had a gun. Yeah. Um, but I will say they do hurt though. If you, if, if you get hit with them on, uh, oh, uncovered, yeah. like, you know, let's say you get uncovered skin, it will leave bruises. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. So he said he was just doing this for fun, meaning Roger. Well, Ryan's car was caught by his high school surveillance cameras passing the bus as the paintballs were hitting it. What the cameras didn't capture was Roger and Ryan was not about to tell on him. So he took the entire rap and this led to Ryan getting expelled from his school. So this is kind of like a perfect storm here because Ryan's fixating a little bit about uh, a little a lot about his relationship with Allegra and the fact that she left him, which is not good for him, especially because he is this alpha male figure and it looks like a woman's leaving him, which probably isn't good for his ego. But he also is going to now be expelled from school, so he fixates even more on this Allegra situation. So after two weeks of this break, and yes, everyone, this all happened in a matter of two weeks, but in high school time, that might be more like eight months, Allegra and Matthew decide that the two of them are better off as friends. Allegra liked Ryan better than Matthew, and Matthew admitted that his feelings were stronger for Michelle than they were for Allegra. But the two of them decided that they would remain friends because they did help each other out when they both needed it the most. It's a very adult, you know, thing to do. Conclusion. And, yeah, and that's and that's hard to do, uh, especially at their age. Yeah. Um, 
to just come to the fact that they're just better as friends. Yes. That's actually a hard thing. Now, for these two weeks, Ryan had fought hard to win his girlfriend back and convince Allegra that the two of them should be together. But when they did get back together, his whole demeanor changed. Now, this is not something that Allegra would know as a teenage girl, but he had become abusive to her. He would read all of Allegra's text messages and get very upset when she spoke to Matthew, even though he himself was allowed to be in contact with all of his own ex-girlfriends. He forbade her from speaking to Matthew, even though they would all still hang out together, which made for some really awkward moments. The couple fought about the fact that Allegra had asked to go on a break every day. That is so unhealthy. That's pretty bad. I mean, that would even be bad for adults. Yeah. (laughs) It's not good. He would ask her if the two of them had had sex during the two-week period. And even though Allegra would tell him that they hadn't had sex, Ryan would never believe her. And they fought about this more and more and more. And it's just so unhealthy. And in so many different... He hits the abusive category like in so many different aspects of her life. So this is very unfortunate, especially because we know Allegra is vulnerable and she is a girl who um, has committed self-harm in the past. And I'm sure this is wreaking havoc on her recovery. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think he's taken the time to realize that, you know, she needs um, some help and she's going to get that help. And this is the last thing she really needs is to have somebody like him being abusive and controlling as hell. But I guess being, I mean, I'm not trying to make it, I'm not trying to make it um, acceptable, but I mean, that's something that you wouldn't maybe know at his age. Yeah, there's still a selfishness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, that is what's happening is that. Yeah. She doesn't need this right now, and he's being very hard to handle. It's really hard for people and abusers to do, but catching abusive behavior earlier on in life is like a little bit better because if someone is truly an abusive person, they shouldn't be in a relationship. But that's really hard to say and to do, like to like say, okay, I'm abusive. I'm going to back out of this relationship until I can heal my own self emotionally figure out what is appropriate when it comes to other people and boundaries like that is something a 17 year old boy is most likely incapable of doing and girl i mean i guess that's kind of what i was alluding to you know what i mean is just the uh he just doesn't know how to do that at the moment no he doesn't have the tools so it was also around this time that matthew had begun to fall in love with michelle and because of that the two were hanging out with the group less and less choosing to do things solo instead of together. Because of this, Allegra, Ryan, Adil, and Drew were hanging out most of the time. Ryan was telling them that he was doing more and more things for Roger and that things were starting to get way darker than he had ever thought it could be. Roger was actually a hitman. And one day when he was high, he told Roger the story of how his friend Matthew had been hitting on his girlfriend and his girlfriend asked for a break and was kind of dating Matthew during their break. He said this is something that made Roger really mad, more than mad, and he thought that Matthew should have to pay for what he did. 
Roger was now talking to Ryan nonstop about killing Matthew. He said that it would be his initiation, and then he could start doing the things that he did. And this is something that made Ryan really nervous because he didn't know what to say to Roger. He was scared of him. But it was clear that Roger was not letting this go. Now, from Matthew's perspective, everything was totally fine. The first time that he had hung out with Ryan after Ryan and Allegra got back together, they had all gotten together, smoked pot, and played video games. There didn't seem to be any issues. And when Matthew explained the situation to Michelle, she had been really kind of okay with everything because Ryan and Allegra were now dating again, so she wasn't upset about it. So Matthew figured, okay, well, it must be the same with them. They really don't care. We're just kind of moving on. A few weeks after Ryan and Allegra had gotten back together, Allegra, Adil, and Ryan had asked Matthew to hang out. And they did this... um, because Adil said he needed some relationship advice. So that's kind of how they got Matthew to kind of hang out with them. So this was the night before Thanksgiving and the beginning of their Thanksgiving break. And they were all happy to have a little bit of time off from school. So for those of you that don't know, in the United States, schools are off for, usually we have a half day, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's always on a Thursday. Then we have off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you kind of get like four and a half days break. It's always something to look forward to because going straight from September till then is, it's exhausting. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So while they were driving, Matthew was suddenly hit by something and he felt an electric shock go through his whole body. He then felt something thin and tight around his neck. He was struggling to breathe. Finally, the pressure was released from his neck. It had been Ryan, and he had put a zip tie around Matthew's neck. Matthew was shocked. What was happening? He demanded to know from Ryan what was going on, as Allegra just continued to drive her forerunner like nothing was happening. He said that Roger was very upset with him because of what had happened between him and Allegra, and he wanted him dead. He kept saying, you need to pay for what happened. So we wanted it to look like we had tried to kill you. We wanted to fake your death so he wouldn't want to kill you anymore. Basically, they said they were trying to save his life. So they told Matthew that once they faked his death, He was going to have to leave town for a while. This is probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, But being them being teenagers, of course, they think this is going to work. Yeah. This does not work. I mean, this is, you know, this is somebody part of their friend group. I mean, you, you know, whether you live in the town or out of the, you know, or in the next town over, does it really matter? I mean, it's going to, it would be on the news Right, and that's yeah. that's why the whole thing doesn't make sense because eventually Matthew would come back. Exactly, exactly. Yes. So this makes no sense at all. But Matthew was scared and really vulnerable, okay? He was in a very, you have to think, his suicide attempt was only two months prior. Right, okay. And he believed his friends. I mean, how could he not? Adil was his best friend. You've known him his whole life. So he listened to them. They said he would have to go out to Allegra's farmhouse, which was really deep into the woods. 
um, and hide out there. And they would fake his death and then they, he would leave town for a while. This way, Roger would be basically satisfied. Matthew felt as if he had no choice but to believe them and go along with the plan. From what Ryan said, he was terrified of Roger. So he didn't want to anger this guy. I mean, you have to think, you have this 17-year-old boy who, suffering from bipolar disorder, has been like this really good boy his whole life, right? He's an Eagle Scout, so adorable, and he's thinking, somebody wants to kill me. He's scared. Right, and, and I can understand that. So next they drove Matthew back to his house so he could get some things um, for his time that he would be staying at Allegra's family's cabin. He got a sleeping bag and clothes to change into. He then said that before he went up to the cabin, he wanted to say goodbye to Michelle so she wouldn't worry. The group allowed him to do so as long as he promised not to tell her what was going on. And he said he would not. Matthew texted Michelle and asked her to meet them in a remote parking lot. Even though it was very late at night, Michelle convinced her mother to let her out because Matthew really seemed like he needed to talk to her. Michelle was waiting in a parking lot when Allegra pulled up with all of the boys in her SUV. Matthew got out of the car and got into Michelle's. He told her that he had to go away for a while and that he just had to leave. When she asked him what was going on, he told her that he couldn't tell her what was happening. The only thing he could tell her is that his life was in danger and that he had to leave town until it was safe. Then he told her he had to go. Michelle watched him leave. He got into the back seat of Allegra's car and she saw that Allegra was driving, Ryan was in the passenger seat, and Adil and Drew were in the back seat with Matthew. And that was the last time that Matthew Silliman would be seen alive. Okay, guys, we're going to take a break here to hear from our first sponsor, Athena Club. We deserve better than having to choose between either cheap disposable razors or overpriced brands. In the past, I've spent a lot of money on razors that never really performed like they said they would, which forced me to go the other route and just buy the cheap disposables that left me with cuts and razor burn. There was no happy medium. But thankfully, I found Athena Club Razors. The Athena Club Razor is expertly designed with the sharpest patented blades on the market. These one-of-a-kind blades are enhanced with a revolutionary water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid for a skin-soothing shave with maximum hydration. In fact, the Athena Club Razor is the only razor designed with hyaluronic acid. I love how smooth and hydrated my skin is after using this razor. I actually look forward to shaving my legs because I know how wonderfully they will feel afterwards. What makes the Athena Club razor so much better is getting to use it with other amazing Athena Club products like the Cloud Shave Foam and the Dewy Body Lotion. With that combination, razor burn does not stand a chance and I'm left with the closest shave imaginable and very hydrated skin. The best part is the razor kit is only $9, which includes two five-blade razor heads and your choice of a razor handle color, I chose sky blue and I love it, and a magnetic holder for easy storage. I get new blades shipped regularly, so I never run out. And the magnetic holder for the shower wall is amazing. 
I love how compact and convenient it is. It doesn't stop at incredible razors with Athena Club. They carry all the self-care essentials you need from period care to body care, and even a probiotic and multivitamin. And every product is vegan and cruelty-free. So stop using razors that under-deliver and switch to Athena Club. Sign up today and you'll get 20% off your first order. Just go to athenaclub.com and use promo code TCC. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with promo code TCC for 20% off today. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. So an anonymous phone call was placed to the Apex North Carolina Police Department the weekend after Thanksgiving. The woman on the line told them that there had been a disturbance at a cabin in the woods that they should check out. And it might have to do with the boy that had been reported missing from the area 72 hours previously. Matthew Silliman. So at this point, Matthew Silliman has been missing for three days. And police do not know where he is. This is getting good now because it's all going to come together, I feel like. Oh, it will. And an anonymous phone call is going to bring the police to the cabin. So who placed the call? The police respond to the call, and when they get to the site, they don't see any signs of a disturbance, as was reported on the call. There was a small cabin that was surrounded by brush and briars. They knocked on the door and declared that they were there and needed entry. There was no response. Again, they declared themselves and that they would be breaking the door if they were not allowed entry. There was no response, so the two officers kicked in the front door. The house was trashed. There were boxes and clothes all over the place. Cigarette butts were strewn around the living room, and there was rotted food with maggots on the counters. On the main table in the living room were laid out candles and tarot cards. They continued to check the rest of the house, and in the only bathroom, they found a sleeping bag. It was zipped all the way up and covered with trash. When the officer unzipped the sleeping bag, they were confronted with a grotesque sight. It was a teenage boy with a plastic bag over his head. There was duct tape over his mouth and a zip tie tied tightly around his neck. His wrists and ankles were also bound by zip ties. They called for crime scene investigators to come. They had found Matthew Silliman, and he was no longer alive. But it was not as his parents had feared. He had not taken his own life, because that's what they had thought. Just think it was only two months after his first attempt. Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel bad for these parents, I mean, right now. And I also feel bad for the, 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 you know, the child. Um, that's just sad because I mean already that's that's what you're thinking, and that's already bad enough that you know your right. your kid commits suicide. But then on top of that, you find out now that it's it's not suicide that he was murdered. Yeah. So now this is this is pretty bad, and I'm sure they felt. I mean, I don't even think words can express how they were feeling. Right, like devastation. Like my son got through probably the darkest time he might ever will and will hopefully ever face in his life. To be murdered. That's pretty sad. They um, had to identify his body 
at the morgue and they were given back the necklace that they had gotten him as a gift for when he became an Eagle Scout because he was wearing it. That's sad. I know. So now the police had a murder to investigate. They want to question those close to Matthew. But at this point, they have an advantage. They and Matthew's parents are the only ones who know about the discovery of the body and his death. So they wanted to question everyone under the pretense that Matthew was still only just missing and find out what people say. The first person who was questioned was Michelle, Matthew's girlfriend. They knew she had met him in a parking lot the night that he went missing, and they wanted to get an understanding of his frame of mind. First, they asked about their relationship. Michelle said everything was great and that they loved each other. It was all still new to them, and they had only been officially dating for about a month. She said the only thing that they ever fought about was the strange relationship that he did have with Allegra Dahlquist, that she had felt like maybe Matthew still had some feelings for Allegra, and occasionally that was something that they fought about. From Michelle, the police learned about the larger friend group. And she let them know that when she had seen Matthew last, when he was panicked in the parking lot and told her basically he had to get out of town because someone was attacking him or wanted to attack him, that he got into the car with those four other people. So the police knew. Right. Ryan, Allegra, Adil, Drew, they were the last to see him. So the next person police want to talk to is Allegra. She claimed that she didn't know where Matthew was and that he had told her and all the other boys the same story that he had told Michelle. He had to leave town, but they didn't know why or where he was going. And this is when police asked her about her relationship with Matthew. And she explained the situation that existed between her and Matthew, um, both their connection and the fact that they had chosen not to be together. She did admit that her boyfriend, Ryan, had not been happy about the fact that the two of them had had an emotional relationship while she was away at a mental health facility, the same one that Matthew had been at, and that he considered what happened while they were on a break cheating. So it was Ryan that was the most upset with Matthew. So he was now at the top of the list to be questioned. Ryan Hare told investigators that he had known Matthew since he was in seventh grade. They had all been friends for a long time. And he said at one point he had an issue with the fact that Matthew had been talking to Allegra and he thought that the two of them had kissed. But he wasn't upset about that anymore because the two of them had squashed it. He said that in reality he was the one protecting Matthew from his friend Roger Pollard who was kind of on the fringes of their group, and that he was scared of Pollard, who would want to hurt Matthew. So he was trying to protect him from that. He said that he knew that Pollard did bad things, and he just didn't want to cross him. So by this point, the police were able to trace the anonymous phone call that was made to them, and they were interested to see the address. It was the address that they had for the boy they wanted to question next. Drew Shaw. It turned out that the woman that had made the anonymous phone call was the grandmother of Drew Shaw. He told her that something bad had happened and then asked if someone died but you weren't there when it happened, would you still get in trouble? 
She told him that whatever he was talking about, he should go to the police immediately if that is what happened. But then he told her that he was just joking. And every time she brought it up after that, he would again say he was just joking. So eventually she just places an anonymous call to the police. I mean, it is a little bizarre to ask that question. I mean, unless there's if unless it's like relevant, right? Right. Um and I'm sure that's what he he wanted that's probably the case and that's probably what he wants to know. Um but I'm surprised that that she went in with an anonymous phone call. Um, right. Well, I mean, he must have told her a little bit more information because she didn't know about the cabin in the woods. Right, exactly. So, so I, I think he did say a little bit more to her. Yeah. Drew Shaw was brought in for questioning. And again, he told police that he had been joking when he was talking to his grandmother and that no one had been murdered. The police decided to press into him hard. It seemed like he had caved once already to his grandmother, so maybe he would do so again. They asked Drew if he would be able to take a voice stress analyzer test, and he agreed. He practically jumped at the chance to take the test. When he was asked during the test if he killed Matthew, he hesitated. So they chose to use this. The detective giving the test said to him, If you know who did this, you might as well tell us now, because we're going to find out. And this seemed to scare him. So he agreed to begin talking to them. He told them the last time that he had seen Matthew was the day before Thanksgiving. He, Ryan, Allegra, and Adil were all hanging out. He said the dynamic of their friend group had completely changed after Allegra and Matthew had their affair, and it was all very different. Ryan had told him that he could forgive Allegra, and that was what he did. But Roger could not let it go. He was furious at Matthew. He said that it wasn't right that Matthew had torn their group apart. So because of that, Matthew had to be stopped. Roger told Ryan that if he did not try and kill Matthew, that he would. So Ryan enlisted the help of all of them, Adil, Allegra, and himself, to try and fake Matthew's death and then get him out of town. Drew said that after the botched attempt in the car that night, that they finally had to let Matthew in on the whole scheme, and they had to try and convince him to get out of town. When they let him know about Roger's threats, Matthew was very scared, so he listened to his friends. He packed up his things, and he convinced them all to let him say goodbye to his girlfriend Michelle, because he didn't want her to think that he had committed suicide. Drew said that after Matthew said goodbye to Michelle, that they headed towards Allegra's cabin and that Matthew began to get very nervous. He was scared, even if he got out of town, that Roger would track him down. They all came up with the plan to convince Roger that Matthew was dead. They would tape the fake murder and then Matthew could hide in the house because Roger didn't know anything about it, and then he would leave town for a few weeks. In the interrogation room, Drew was slowly starting to lose it. He was beginning to cry. I mean, he's 16 years old. This is terrifying to be questioned by the police about a murder. Yeah, I mean, this isn't something you go to the principal's office for. This is a big deal. The police chose to press him even harder. 
He admitted that the Saturday of Thanksgiving break, he had gone out to the house again with everyone to check on Matthew. He said he hadn't thought about it before, but then, when he went back, he realized that Matthew had been confined to that house with no hot water or electricity. He said it hit him then that his family must be worried. They had gone there to bring him food and to record his fake murder. The plan was that, after the fake murder, they were going to drive him to the train station where he would buy a ticket out of town. When they got there, Ryan made Matthew write letters to his family members so they knew that he was just away for a while and they wouldn't get the police too involved. Matthew was very nervous about everything that was happening. So to calm him down, Allegra said that she would do a tarot card reading for him. While she was doing the reading, Ryan had asked Drew to step outside with him. Ryan told Drew that he thought Matthew was going to chicken out during this and that he needed Drew to be waiting outside of the house with a baseball bat in case he came running out. Drew said he felt really uncomfortable with this, but he couldn't say no to Ryan. So he waited outside while Ryan said he was going to surprise attack him because that was the best way to do it and to make it look real. Ryan snuck back into the house and was standing behind Matthew as Allegra was completing his tarot card reading. He ran up behind the boy and then struck him in the head with a hammer. This stunned Matthew and caused him to bleed, but didn't knock him out. Matthew asked Ryan why he did that, and why did he really hurt him? And Ryan said he did it to make it look real for the video. At this point, Drew said he returned into the house when he heard the commotion. And when he saw Matthew bleeding, he started freaking out. And he said he didn't want to be a part of this anymore. He wanted to go home. He finally convinced Ryan to let Allegra drive him home because he had a curfew. And if he didn't go home, his family would start looking for him. Ryan conceded and let Allegra drive Drew home. He said that when he left that house, Matthew had been alive. Hmm. So it seems like, it, uh, to me so far, it sounds like maybe this whole staging of it became a little too real. And then before they know it, he was dead. Okay. That's what I'm thinking right now. So the police now had two tasks. First, bring in a deal to hear the rest of the story. And secondly, track down Roger Pollard. They needed to hear from him. When Adil Khan was brought into the police station, he was put directly in the hot seat. The police basically tell him, if you let us know what happened, we can give you a plea deal. But we can't do that unless you tell us everything that happened. And if you don't, you will be implicated in a murder. So what do you want to do? Well, Adil is smart. (laughs) And he told police that there had been a threat from Roger on Matthew's life. But Adil, a very intelligent child, said right away that he had his suspicions about whether or not Roger was real. Oh, okay. And he tapped on into something that the police had suspected 
the entire time. He didn't think Roger existed. I mean, if you think about it, how could Roger be real? Wouldn't the police have known right away about someone who was doing all this illegal activity? He wouldn't have had any run-ins with the police. This would be a character that they knew the name of. I mean, that's true. I mean, I was I was thinking maybe along the lines of maybe the person was real, but he just made this person sound way more um, aggressive and real. Like, like so he based to... him off a real person. Right. Like, that's what I was thinking at, at first when you just said that. Right. But, I mean, maybe he's not real at all. It does also seem very strange that this man who didn't even know anyone else, don't forget, Ryan is the only person that has ever met Roger. That's true. Nobody I else has. I think about that. Yeah. So why was he so invested in, in their group or what happened yeah, with true. Matthew and Allegra? Exactly. And it, and actually, it's now not everything makes sense because if you think about it, right, he, who is the only person that shares this hatred of Matthew being with her during that breakup time? Is Ryan. Is Ryan. So yeah. Ryan is Roger. Mm, okay. According to a deal, Ryan had told him, Drew and Allegra, something totally different than what they had told Matthew. The plan was never to fake Matthew's death. It was always to actually kill him. He did tell them about Roger, though. He did try to keep up this like charade of Roger being real to them and him saying, well, Roger needs me to kill Matthew, so I have to. So like they kind of let him keep this up. But I think they all in the back of their minds knew that. Well, I think at least a deal knew Roger's not real. Right. And I that's actually good job. A deal. That's really that's awesome. Yes. And well, I mean, let me finish the story. Oh, OK. And I also think that Allegra was desperate to have Ryan have Ryan's approval again. Okay. So that makes sense. So everyone's yeah. kind of just, you know, going through the motions here. Right. So Ryan was actually furious about what had happened between Matthew and Allegra. And he convinced Allegra that their relationship would not be good again unless Matthew was dead. And he convinced Drew and Adil to help him with the murder so their group could go back to normal. They, for all of their own reasons, agreed with Ryan, or were scared not to. Adil said that he was scared that if he didn't go along with the whole plot, that he would be next on the list. There had been two attempts on Matthew's life. The first time they all hung out together, when they were smoking pot, remember when Matthew was thinking, oh, okay, things are normal again? Yes. Well, they weren't, because that had been a plot against his life. Oh, okay. The plan had been to get Matthew so high that he didn't know what was going on so that Ryan could then strangle him with the strings of his hoodie. However, this did not work because they really didn't get that high at all because the weed that they had bought was not too good. Then the plan was to kill Matthew in the car once they picked him up. A deal was supposed to have tased him when a particular song started and Ryan was going to put a zip tie around his neck and pull. However, because Matthew had been wearing a hoodie that night, it didn't work. And that's when Ryan changed tactics and told him the story about Roger wanting to kill him and that they would have to fake his death. 
that is so insane that these kids are going to such I should say Ryan really is going to such crazy like extremes to to kill him. But they're still going along with him. I I agree with you, and I don't know if that's because of fear, or 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 if there really is truly something to gain. I can't see there being anything to gain by killing one of your friends. I just don't. Yeah, this is craziness. So a deal confirmed that Ryan's intentions were to have killed Math. So a deal confirmed that Ryan's intentions were to have killed Matthew in the car that night. Because the night before, he had led them all out to railroad tracks and instructed them to dig a grave. This grave was supposed to be for Matthew. Ryan said that he picked out this area because they would never develop so near railroad tracks. However, they only ended up digging half the grave that night, and they were going to finish it the following night once they killed Matthew. The police, floored with this new information, asked a deal to pick up for them after Drew left. And he did. After Drew left, they continued with their plot. They all began to wonder if Matthew was starting to not believe them and was getting nervous, which most likely Matthew was probably starting to get a little bit suspicious here. So they chose to drug him. Allegra had horses, and a lot of times she would take her horses out to this property to ride because they were the property was so big. So because her horses were often at the property, she did have horse tranquilizer in the cabin. They told Matthew that they were just going to relax and have some wine, and he agreed that maybe this was a good idea. But they put the horse tranquilizer and any other pill they could find in the house in his wine. They all drank the wine on the porch and Matthew immediately felt groggy and started slurring his words. Eventually he fell over and was laid on the ground. He was barely conscious and was beginning to vomit. While he was vomiting, Ryan instructed a deal to put duct tape over his mouth. Then Ryan got a clear plastic bag and put it over Ryan's head. Allegra put the zip ties around his neck and tied them as tight as she could. But it was clear that Matthew was still able to get some air. Ryan then stepped in and made the zip ties even tighter. This caused Matthew to suffocate to death. As he was dying, the three of them drove to the grave site, which was not far from the cabin they were going to finish digging the grave. But once they got there, they realized that they could not bury Matthew there. There had been a lot of rain in the area lately, and the grave that they had dug was filled completely with water. Adil told the police that the plan had changed. They went back to the house and tried to make it look like a satanic ritual had been completed, and Matthew had been the victim. This is... Well, I would say the whole thing is very stupid, so dumb, they're morons, but this is even worse because this is Allegra's family's house. Of course, it's going to be tied back to them. Right, exactly. Like, who has access to, to that house? Oh, I don't know, my, my daughter or my granddaughter like, or whoever. Right, like, what are the chances that your friend goes missing, gets killed in a satanic ritual and just happened to have been your house? Like, no, I know. Uh, I know. Come on. I, I, I completely understand. And that's why I was saying before, like, they just are not 
thinking at all. No. Like, none of it makes sense. No, no. So they tried to clean up any evidence that they were there. They threw garbage on top of Matthew's body. They put different symbols around the property. And they kept the tarot cards and candles on the table. After they are done, the three of them callously went to Wendy's. And then, then, and and they're all all good with that. Like that that shows like that shows like they none of them are either they're completely brainwashed by Ryan or they all share this weird like callousness to to yeah. them all. Like zero right? empathy. It, it, yeah. There's no empathy there at all. It's very bizarre. The only person that showed the most remorse was Drew, and he hadn't even been there for the for the worst of it. Yeah, like I can't even sit here and say that a deal, uh, you know. He, that was his best friend. Right, and he really didn't care too much. I think it was more of just like, hey, listen, we'll offer you a, 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 a plea deal if you give us some information. It was more to save his own ass at that point yeah. than, you know, caring. That's really um, sad. So that's, I, that, that's so weird to me. Yeah. Ryan Hare and Matthew's other friends preyed on Matthew's vulnerabilities. They took advantage of the fact that he trusted them. And in the end, Allegra, Adil, and Drew all turned on Ryan Hare. And they testified against him in order to lessen their sentence through plea deals. Allegra and Adil pled guilty to second-degree murder. Adil received 32 years and Allegra 30. Drew was charged as an accessory after the fact, as they had told him about the murders afterwards. He received 45 months, three years, nine months, for his involvement. Ryan Hare went to trial. The entire trial was videotaped and is available online. We'll have the links below. And it's where I got most of the information from this case. It's a lot to watch, but if you're interested in this case, it's definitely, it's worth it. Even just to see the judiciary process is fascinating in a murder case. Ryan was charged with first-degree murder, which carried an automatic life sentence in North Carolina. Life sentence without parole. And that is what he got. Life without the possibility of parole. These sentencings took place in 2010. Two years later, a Supreme Court case would change that verdict. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in June 2012 that juveniles convicted of murder cannot be subjected to a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. This is based on the court rulings in Miller v. Alabama and Jackson v. Hobbs. In 2016, that changed the sentence of Ryan Hare. But in the end, the tragedies of this case are endless because all of their lives are, are gone, are stolen. Yeah. I mean, it, it's terrible because, I mean, how old were most of them here? 17? The 16, they range from 16 to 17. So you have to think, this is this is really upsetting in, in more than one way. You have the murder of, the murder of um, one child um, that is devastating, especially the way it was done. Especially the way it was done, like, it was just, oh, it was so callous, like, in the autopsy, they found that he still had vomit in his mouth, so most likely he like really choked on his own yeah. vomit. And his family, I just can't imagine the devastation after trying to like overcome this like 
battle of like him being newly diagnosed with a mental illness and them trying to find their new normal together to have him be murdered and to an attempt four times to be murdered. Yeah. And all he tried to do was just try to have uh, to be supportive for the other girl. Right. Because that's kind of what I was getting from that was that he was trying to find someone that might have a, a maybe that was a little like minded or that might be going through something. He was trying to lend a supportive hand, yeah. uh, you know, try to be the pillar for her. From what I got from interviews that people gave and all of the testimony that I heard from the court case is that really what happened was Matthew Silliman had been through his own struggle of mental illness and he saw a friend struggling the same way. So he wanted to reach out and help Allegra and that maybe she had misunderstood it as a romantic interest. Right. And he never truly was, which is why the two of them never had kissed or they never had sex because he really liked Michelle. Like he continued talking to Michelle those two weeks. He was with her. Allegra had the misconception, I think, of romantic ideals. And so really Matthew Silliman did. And even if he did, even if he did, he did nothing wrong. No, not at all. Honestly, I mean, to, to no one deserves that type of, um, you know, treatment and then to go out and try to kill him four times. I mean, that's insane. But I, I, I you know, and that's that's really the tragedy here. But I do have to add that all these kids that were involved, even though they're guilty of that, and nothing can take that away. But now you have to think, now the ones that do come out of this, for example, Drew only served, what, three years? Yeah, like almost four. So you, to, so you have to think, okay, for Drew, that's upsetting too because look what happened now. Because now you're coming out in your 20s out of prison. Right. And your whole life is ruined. Yeah. And, and, and now you can't really have a normal life. You can't get a normal job with something like that on your record. Well, you can. It's just going to be you hard can. to rebuild. But, but I'm just trying to say that, like, I mean, of course, you could always rebound. But this, you know, that's hard. This, this is a little different, I feel it's like. It's hard to it's overcome. Hard, it's hard. Yeah, of course. Um, it's just upsetting. And it's... then all the families of those children that are, are in there for life or 30-year sentences. They're all affected. They're all affected. I mean, I feel the, badly for the kid that got killed. I mean, that's that's that's... It's just so brutal. It's, it's brutal. like they tried they tried to tase you in a car, strangle, strangle you. you. That didn't work. So now you're stuck in a house during Thanksgiving when all your family's together and they're terrified, you know your family's scared and you've been missing and thinking that you committed suicide. Yeah. So he's like having to deal with the emotionality of that all. Then he gets hit in the head with a hammer and then he gets suffocated to death. It's After terrible. he's given horse tranquilizers. And he was drugged, yeah. Oh right. Oh my god. So honestly, like I I can't even believe it. And I feel terrible for him and his yeah. family. It's it's unbelievable. Unimaginable. Very sad. So whew, that was a rough one. That was a rough one. But I think that it's good that there were some positives out of the case of like trying to deal with mental illness in a positive way, but Again, sometimes it is just the unpredictability and the emotionality of teenagers and how negative it could be. Scary. It is. And group think, because that's kind of what happened here. Yeah, it is. That's what I think what makes it so odd. Friends. 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 
All right, guys. Um, well, before we go, what we want to do is we want to give a big thank you to our new patrons on Patreon and um, those who have upped their pledges and the new ones who have joined us. So we just want to give a huge thank you to Sarah Ann Brackett, who upped her pledge from 5 to $10, Summer Ann, Abigail Edgerton, Peyton Meacham, Kelton Niels, Jerrica Havard, Sarah Koopman upped her pledge to $5, Linnell Lanton, Julia Stefano upped her pledge from 5 to 10 Sharon Spiller also upped her pledge from 5 to 10 Ava, Blakely Brugman, Jesse Rose Bayless, Yvonne Byrne went from $5 to 10 Thank you. Kara St. Jean, Kylie Gurley, Annabelle Coau, Ruth Ann Gonzalez, and Michelle Smith. So thank you guys so much. Yes, thank you guys. And if you want to join Patreon, you could join at patreon.com slash true crime couple and get extra bonus episodes, um, either one to two extra episodes a month. And um, we are now doing videos. So that's exciting. It is. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.